Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast, discussing and debating the iconic and the forgotten of 80s and 90s pop culture with your co-hosts, James D. Graves and Jason Holligan. If I go crazy, then will you still call me Superman? Hey, guys, we're back for part two of the Superman 1 and 2 versus Man of Steel debate. Once again, John Reed from the 30-something movie podcast is joining us. Hey, John. Hey, guys. I, I'm really excited. Thank you so much for having me back here. I am, I'm ready to throw down like that, that Muhammad Ali Superman thing. I'm ready to <laughs> throw down, fight this out. You know, may, may the best Superman win. All right. I know that in Man of Steel, there is no Lex Luthor, but I think we should talk about Gene Hackman for just a second. Gene Hackman is maybe, next to Christopher Reeve, my favorite part of the Superman 1 and 2 series. He is not the mustache-twirling villain at all. Anything that you get from him that's evil is just dialogue that he's speaking. In all other respects, he seems kind of like a funny guy and easy to get along with, other than he's so full of himself. (laughs) (laughs) When he was hired, he had a mustache. This is like mustache Gene Hackman. Yeah, the original posters had a picture of Marlon Brando and Gene Hackman, and Gene Hackman had a full-on mustache. That's crazy. And uh, he didn't want to shave. He didn't want to shave his mustache, number one. He didn't want to shave his head either. Right. But Dick Donner called him. He said, all right, listen, dude, if, you, if you'll shave your mustache, I'll shave my mustache. So Hackman's like, all right. Well, Dick Donner didn't have a mustache. Not only that, he when he said, I'll shave my mustache if you shave yours, yeah. he actually had a fake mustache on. Yeah. Yeah. And then after Gene Hackman, yeah, after Gene Hackman shaved his, he's like, all right. He's like, okay, cool. And peeled it off. <laughs> <laughs> that's and that's awful. the story of why Gene Hackman didn't come back for the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's funny that Lex Luthor is supposed to have all these hair pieces, but mm-hmm. I mean, anybody you know who wears a toupee that has a bald spot in it? <laughs> So anytime you see Hackman, it's bald. It's a bald cap. But I, I love Gene Hackman. He, he's charming. He's funny. I talked to Dee the other day, and I'm like, when he first meets Superman and kind of lures him to his lair by making that vague threat about toxin gas or whatever, he doesn't have a plan to commit any kind of crime, and yet he has instant credibility, and Superman shows up and not kicks in his door. I'm like, that happens every day on Twitter. In addition to Lex Luthor, we didn't have Otis, who was played by Ned Beatty, who was fantastic. It, it Mr. Mr. Luthor? Mr. Yeah. Luthor. <laughs> it, it, just a, an aside real quick, the the officers, the police officers in Superman 1 know, not only know who Lex Luthor is, but know who his goons are because they see Otis <laughs> and decide to start following him. That scene when the guy gets pushed in front of the train was traumatic for me as a kid. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Yeah. But the uh, his partner, the other guy, I guess he must have done pretty well because he ends up being the police chief for Riggs and Murdoch. Know that sign says Riggs? Yeah, but I don't give a... <laughs> <laughs> you don't have Miss Tessmacher in uh, Man of Steel either. No, you don't. Valerie Perrine. Oh, my word. Her cleavage caused the entire U.S. military to fall oh, apart at the yeah. end of Superman 1. <laughs> right. I mean, the I Dream of Genie guy had somehow transferred over to the Army branch <laughs> and was high enough in command to be solely responsible she for She literally lays down, shows her boobs, and he assumes control of nuclear weapons. I can remember. it's So I have a – he's 10 years old right now. And this has been five years ago. So he's been five, four or five years old. 
And I had Superman on a tablet of some kind and he was sitting with me and we're watching Superman for the first time. And it gets to that scene where she's in the green bathing suit and she's laying down and, you know, her chest is just in her arms. And my four to five year old son pushes pause <laughs> on the tablet, stops, stops going and goes, Dad, when I grow up and get married, I'm going to marry a girl like her. <laughs> All right, Jarrell. Okay, so Jarrell, we've got Marlon Brando, who we've talked about, and Russell Crowe from Man of Steel. Marlon Brando was paid three point, and there's some rough estimation on the figures here, but somewhere between three point five and three point seven million dollars for his performance in this, which is less than twenty minutes long, and then got an absurd percentage on the back end of like 11 and An three quarters absurd percentage. and still sued to get more money and then before they started shooting he tr he called and tried to convince dick donner that instead of having him appear on screen that they could do a, a talking suitcase or a bagel of some kind because nobody knows what kryptonians really look like so why not just use his voice it's funny to listen to an interview with him about the amount of money that he was paid people pay what they deem something is worth and some things are worth more than others cars are worth more than hula hoops <laughs> <laughs> which I, I listened to it i laughed out loud just because of the idea and then i watched the movie and i was like oh my gosh there's actually hula hoops in his scene yeah that's right yeah the hula hoops <laughs> that are keeping the criminals from escaping in, in fairness to him though he's absolutely right and he was the key piece to getting this done yeah yeah, you know, well, I mean, there, it certainly he had the star power to, to demand what he got. And, you know, Dick Donner in his interview says, I was really skeptical of the idea of paying Marlon Brando this much money. But once I started working with him, I realized, yeah, he's worth it. Well, what about Russell Crowe? Where are we with Russell Crowe? Okay, so I know you love Russell Crowe. I love Russell Crowe. We've had this talk. I didn't like him in Gladiator, but I thought he did fantastic in this. I thought he was a compelling Jarrell who was smart and active and had a plan, and he was great. He's great as a hologram. This part was a little confusing. I always have this, the AI, you know, can they hear me? Can they understand me? Are they thinking? This whole thing is a little bit confusing to me. Mm -hmm. But... I like both the actors. I just, I don't know. I think you could almost make a case that Man of Steel, that you didn't really need all this stuff. That you could start with Clark on The Deadliest Catch. Well, see, now that's an interesting comparison. I've got that over here. So when I watched Man of Steel, I was like, wow, they're really spending a significant amount of time on Krypton here, right? Yeah. You're getting a whole lot more story than you got with Superman. I mean, they fleshed out the, the place. You get a better understanding of why Zod is, is rebelling against uh, the people. You get a better trial scene. Uh, Jarrell has an entire storyline that, that goes along with why he's doing what he's doing. Has time to dive into the water and get the codex to take. I mean, this is, I was like, wow, they must have spent like a ton of time. I looked. It's 20 minutes from beginning of movie until Krypton explodes in Man of Steel. In Superman, it's 21 minutes. Wow. And I thought they gave you so much more detail and depth in Man of Steel about what Krypton was like and why these characters were doing what they were doing than you ever got in Superman. Did you know that that's roughly the same amount of time that the kid who fell off the Niagara Falls <laughs> as he fell? 
took about 20 minutes for Superman to get his act uh, together and go rescue that kid. And when he, you know, after he appears, saves Lois Lane for the first time and thinks, oh, I think I'll shoot the rest of the night away fighting minor crime. And he confronts the cat burglar who's crawling up the, up the windows. And that guy starts to fall. Once again, Superman's got a time to smirk, shake his head. <laughs> ah, well, I guess Going I'll down. zoom down and get him. <laughs> All right, I, I do want to throw in real quick um, Kevin Costner and Diane Lane as Ma and Pa Kent. They, I, I, I love what they did in this. Absolutely love it. With the Superman movies, you've got you get a very brief glimpse of Martha and Jonathan Kent. They have a great little you know bit where they discover him, and you have the falling truck, which I think will live in everybody's memory forever as the little kid lifts that truck up. Oh, quick side note on that guy. The guy's name is the, the little kid, you know, the little kid who's naked and then who's lifting up the truck. His name is Aaron Smolinski, and he is the only actor who has been in Superman 1, Superman 3, and Man of Steel. He was, you remember in Superman 3 where he goes into the photo booth and like it has pictures of him changing from yeah. Clark Kent to Superman. He, he played the kid at the photo booth on that one. And then of course he's an adult now. And so he played a communications officer in Man of Steel. And that's cool. There's some sort of uh, fan film that there is in development right now called Superman versus Doomsday. And if it gets made, he'll be Lex Luthor in that. He's bald now. So looks like, <laughs> looks like he'd be good to Lex, Lex, Lex Luthor. But uh, what an interesting life that guy has to have had mm-hmm. so far. But back to Ma and Pa Kent, Jonathan and Martha uh, Kent, you don't get much from them. I mean, especially Ma Kent, you don't get much at all. She's just kind of there. Oh, as, yeah. Homely. Homely. <laughs> She's old, man. She's a little silver-headed old woman. <laughs> you don't get much from her other than, you know, love you, don't forget. Don't never forget. But you got way different parenting in in this one. Martha Kent is fan-freaking-tastic. I love her. Yeah. Diane Lane, you know, she can pull off young and old very easily. I bought her being old enough to be his mom. She's and then old obviously and beautiful. Still. Yeah, she still still can pull off being very young as well. And Kevin Costner does a great sort of Midwestern, you know, I kept waiting for him to ask him if he wanted to have a catch. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's great. He's Mr. Field of Dreams, you know? Yeah. So, and, and people had a problem with Jonathan Kent when Clark Kent says, should I just have let them die? Him saying, maybe. But you've got to have that in order to establish within Clark how critical the idea of People cannot know what you can do. I, I totally agree with that. I, I've heard the criticism, but I mean, you and I have teenagers. John, yeah. I mean, your kids are not teenagers yet, but... No, I, yeah, my oldest is 12. Okay. Even if for a 12-year-old, to have godlike powers at that age and the decision-making abilities, I mean, Kevin Costner is wise telling him, let's, let's wait. Yeah. Let's wait until you're ready to become the greatest being on this earth. Yeah. When I when people were were making such a big deal out of that, I, I kept thinking the same thing was, well, first of all, it's a movie. Second of all, <laughs> put yourself in that person's place. You get the the portrayal of Ma and Pa Kent is in the original Superman movie is very much your classic. Well, it's a kindly old farm couple, and they've raised this boy to be their own, and they you know good midwestern uh united states values and everybody you know it's it's all very pure and it's all there's not a whole lot of complication here and you put yourself in the in the character of 
what Jonathan Kent as a human would have been like. And, and I feel like, well, I, I can't imagine I would be any different. Like I would be a little paranoid yeah. and I, I would be concerned that if I let this slip, somebody's taken my, my son away and they're going to experiment on him and they're going to do all this other crazy stuff. And not to mention, you know, yeah, people start asking questions about how you illegally adopted a child. Right. And to me, I didn't have a problem with that. When that whole yeah. thing came out, and I remember seeing that in the trailer, and I remember having a discussion with, and it might have been, might have been Jeff, you know, one of the other guys that's on the podcast with us. Sometimes right. we might have had a discussion about that, and I, he was like, well, "How do you feel about that?" And I was like, "You know what? I, first of all, it's in a trailer, so it could be completely out of context. So let, let's actually watch the movie and, and see." And he's like, oh, "That makes sense." And even watching the movie and, and that line, it's like, you know, should I should I have let them die? Maybe. Like, well, okay, so watching this as an audience member watching a movie, I can sit there and have the luxury of saying, Oh, Jonathan, no, 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 bad advice, bad advice. But as a person, like if I'm living in this world and if that's me, I probably would say something like that. I might regret it later on. And they're like, okay, I made a mistake. Never mind. You know, we, we don't let anybody ever die. Um, but in the moment when I've got a scared kid that's asking me questions. And like you said, he's got this godlike power at age 13 or, or whatever he was. Yeah, I'd probably be a little freaked out, too. Another detail touch, just you don't even notice it. I know this because I watched the behind the scenes. When he ultimately shows Clark the the spaceship that he came to Earth in, you you get these extreme close-ups of the desk behind him, and it's all his research on alien life and you know extraterrestrials, UFO sightings, all of this. They, they went to the trouble to get all of that prepared for that tiny little scene that you don't even see. It's just kind of kind of crazy. Yeah. Before we jump ahead, I, I did want to say one thing about Diane Lane's um, Martha Kent yeah. is to me that's, and, and I'm, I'm fine with the, the kindly old Martha Kent too. I mean, that's traditionally that's how she's portrayed in, in nearly everything else. But this Diane Lane, Martha Kent, like she stands up to Zod. Yeah. And if you're a mother who has raised this child and he eventually someday is going to become Superman, that's the Martha Kent that I would expect to see. Like someone who you've got this alien in front of you that has ridiculous power. He's, you know, there's a couple of them other theirs too. They've thrown a truck into your house right. and you're still going to stand up to the guy. Yeah, like to me, to that's hell. Superman's mom. He has powers as we do. Certainly, but uh, oh, magnificent one. He is just one. Or you are three. Mm. Or four, if you count him twice. You know, in terms of the character of Nan, they've introduced him into the newer comics, and he's got a much more tragic story. I think that his story in the newer comics is he was friends with Jor-El, yeah, and he was, he was a member of the Kryptonian Council, and he lobotomized him. He right? was like lobotomized. Yeah, he was lobotomized. And so every time, you know, Jor-El sees him up until the destruction of Krypton, like it breaks his heart because that was a, a very close friend of his. And so it's obviously got a little bit more of a backstory when, when you add that piece into it. One of the one of the characters that I was hoping that we would mention, but um, didn't get mentioned. He's only in the original Superman for one or two seconds. The actor's name, I believe, is Bo Rucker, uh, and he played the pimp. In Superman, <laughs> now, that was my dad's favorite I, lie. I, ex exactly. That's and I, I didn't want to. I didn't want us to go beyond the actors and the characters without mentioning the pimp, because 
that is possibly the best line in the movie. Yeah. And there have been times, and, and, and I love that my children have no idea what I'm quoting up until they see the movie. And they're like, oh, so you didn't make that up. That's where you got that from. But there are times where if my kids will come in the room, they'll be like, um, dad, this is what I'm wearing to church today. Is this okay? Or, <laughs> or dad, this is what I've got on. Is this all right? A lot of times I'll go, say, Jim, that's a bad outfit. <laughs> what? That is the best. Uh, I mean, just, just, and, and seeing that as a kid, that, that completely blew over my head of, of how funny that is. But as an adult and, and Christopher Reeve, his response to the whole thing, that is probably one of the most hilarious, like three or four seconds in the entire movie because <laughs> he does the whole revolving door thing, steps outside and the pimp says his line, say, Jim, that's a bad outfit. And Superman just goes, Excuse me. Puts one finger up and then flies away. I'm just like that. You you could just have played me that four seconds, and I would have said, you know what, Superman's the greatest movie it's ever been. That's that's all I need to see. Young Clark in Superman movies was played by Jeff East. Now, when I watched these movies, I was like, holy cow! They got a guy who sounds exactly like Christopher Reeve. To play the young Christopher Reeve. I mean, he doesn't look like him that much, but his voice is identical. No wonder they picked this guy. Yeah, so I was dumb. Chris Reeve dubbed all those lines. Yeah, and they did it without Jeff East's knowledge. Now, Jeff East has been in a few other movies. Do you guys remember the old Tom Sawyer movie with the red-headed Tom Sawyer and Jodie Foster? Yeah. Was mm-hmm. Kate Thatcher. yeah. He played Huck Finn in that movie. Really? Jeff East did, really? yeah. Like a big fat cow with two and on the butt. Like a catfish grubbing in the bottom of the mud. We're happy as good and we don't give a hoot. Ain't we fine? He was really upset when he saw the movie and saw that his lines had been dubbed over by Christopher Reeve. He didn't know. and the Producers didn't tell him that that was going to happen. He didn't know it was going to happen. So he was a little irritated. And then another interesting story for him, you know, they're doing, he does the the train race where they've got him kind of an absurd running thing, but I loved it when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, His gait is a little strange. It is a little, a little bit weird, but he, they do that scene where he jumps in front of the train just at the last second. And I, they're using a real train. And he said he almost died at some point as they were trying to film this because one of the, the cables didn't do the, like one of the cranes didn't do the right thing. And he swung back around and Richard Hackman, Gene Hackman's brother, who was the stunt guy on the scene, grabbed him before he swung back in front of the train and died. Now, since you brought it up, that was one of the things I really liked about how Man of Steel handled the young Clark Kent piece was, yeah, and I thought it was a pretty, it was a, it was a fresh take on it that that I just had not seen before. Watching that and thinking, you know what, the way he's dealing with these powers and these sensations that he just can't understand, it really reminded me of, you know, a lot of times when a when a student will get diagnosed with some kind of a learning disability or whatever it might be. And I thought, you know what, is that the route that they're going to kind of take with this? Is that, you know, what if we think of Superman as, or what if we think of Clark Kent as he was a child that from the outside world, he, he grew up with some kind of a disability. Like that would be an interesting take that I've never seen or heard of before. And just the way that, you know, his mom, you know, he, he panics because he, you know, sees through his teacher, which would freak out anybody. I'm glad he didn't stop and be like, pink, Um, that would be awkward the teacher says do you like pink that makes it uh, that's a little little awkward but um and then you know he runs and locks himself in that closet and then his mom has to come and kind of 
talk him through the whole thing. And he can hear all the kids making the comments about him outside the room. And, and the way she's just calming him down and trying to get him kind of back out of this panic that he's in. Um, I mean, I've, I've, I've seen students who actually do that. They just, the world just overwhelms them so much that the sensory stuff that's coming in just gets to them so much that they just cannot, they don't know how to process it. His life is a lonely existence. And the, the story of young Clark Kent um, in Man of Steel, I mean, really informs who he is as an adult. And even going back and watching the, the original Superman movies with Christopher Reeve, you get that loneliness as well. There's, there's this scene where he's tried to get Lois to go out with him and she won't go out with him. And then he tries to say hi to the guys in the hall as he's waiting for the elevator and it gets ignored. And then he's just kind of standing there waiting on the elevator. And there's this sense of loneliness of this is what comes with being Superman. It's not, you know, we all think, Oh gosh, I just want to be Superman, but there's this huge, isolation that comes with the job that it's tough i'll tell you what though superman as a strange child or a lonely man is a whole lot better than superman as a stalker <laughs> that you get in superman returns when he breaks yeah. into that person's house and it, i mean if you got superman as an intruder you got a problem mm -hmm. <laughs> i'm bullying I, I i've got a full note on this one bullying is a huge part of this and John, I feel like, and I could be totally making this up in my head, but I feel like you posted maybe an article a few months ago on kind of the notion of bullying and that sometimes it makes kids stronger. And Chris Rock's got a comedy special out on Netflix right now where like he, he finds out that they have a no tolerance policy for bullying um, at his daughter's school. And he's like, I almost pulled her out right then. He says, bullies made me who I am. And, and so it's, it, you know, bullying's a, a huge part of the backstory of Superman in, in both movies. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you get more of it in the original trilogy with the Smallville guy. What was that guy's name? Brad. Brad. Mm -hmm. oh, what a slime ball. But then in the Man of Steel one, you get, I mean, you imagine if you were able to hear every ugly thing that people said about you. Right. What, what would that turn you into if you had, if you could hear everything in town yeah, and you heard every rumor, you heard every kid whispering about you. That idea is what is the driving force behind the whole beginning story for Man of Steel. <clears throat> I mean, the whole story really for Man of Steel is this unspoken question for Clark, which is, is humanity worth saving? Because you get scene after scene where you've got humans being despicable, followed up by humans doing the right thing. You've got the guy saving his life on the, what were they doing on that boat? It's like the Peggy Sue, yeah. yeah. Deadliest catch, man. He, you know, he saves his life and then he calls, you know, he calls him a dummy. <laughs> <laughs> but this kind of, he's like, you know, even though he thinks I'm an idiot, he still saved me, which then leads to him, you know, saving all those guys on the oil rigger. You've got the kids being mean to him and then his mom comes in and is nice to him. You've got Pete Ross being mean to him on the bus before Lana's nice to him, which leads to him saving Pete. Then you got the bully, you know, picking on him while he's reading Play-Doh. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
And and who is it that shows up to be nice? It's Pete Ross, who he's changed. You know, it's it's this. Constant... You, got, you got the you got the guy at the bar later on that throws the the beer at him. Right, and the waitress who's you know, he's like, it's not worth it, honey. And then and then it all culminates with Lois, who, you know, she's going to get the story. She's going to get the story. She finally figures it out, but. When she realizes what's at stake, she drops it. She doesn't let him go, which then gives you those lines later on where he says, thank you. And she says, for what? And he says, for believing in me. And she said, it didn't end up meaning very much. And he says, it did for me. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, she's, was, she's the humanity that's worth saving. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's the whole question. And you talked about this in your podcast. And this was a huge deal for me when I saw Man of Steel the first time. I was kind of heavily into reading the Bible at that point. And so when I saw Man of Steel, I was like, holy smokes, there's a lot of Christ references in this in this movie. I was like, I, I learned about, you know, that was Donner's intent, and you can see it in the Donner cut, but it was it's kind of Donner says, nobody's gonna put as many Christ references in as I will in a Superman movie, and Dex <laughs> Snyder says, Hold my beer. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was my wife was surprised the first time we watched she had never seen, I mean, this was several years ago now, but she had never seen the original Richard Donner Superman. Mm-hmm. And the first time we sat down and watched it together, she like partway through the movie, she goes, so is Richard Donner a Christian? Like, does, mm-hmm. is he like a pastor or something? Cause <laughs> right. there's a lot of stuff in here. Like, I mean, that's pretty much straight out of the Bible is it? like most of the stuff Jor-El is saying. I mean, it really sounds like it's right out of the Bible. And I said, yeah, no, it's yeah. just, that's just how they chose to do it. But the father becomes the son. Yeah. Yeah. And with Man of Steel, he's 33 years old. At the point that he's trying to decide whether to give up and save humanity or not, he goes to the church and right behind him as he's talking to the preacher is Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. I was like, okay, that's... That is a that is amazing, and I don't know how many other people are seeing what I'm seeing right now. But it's, and then, of course, uh, when he right after Jorel says, "You can save her, you can save all of them," and he busts out of the ship and does his nesty plunge in the mm-hmm. Jesus on the cross, I was just like, "Wow!" Let me just make a comment on the suit real quick. Yeah, we can compare uniforms, but the original Superman movie they wanted it to be darker, but they had to make it lighter because they were losing them in the uh, in the effects, like when they're flying around at night. I liked how in Man of Steel, you know, they always talk about Superman flying around in blue underwear. In red Man underwear. of Steel, well, red underwear, uh, right? Outside briefs, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> but Jarrell actually takes off his battle armor and he's wearing that blue suit underneath, and so it actually is an undergarment. Yeah, which I think is really cool. Turns out it is underwear. <laughs> the uh, I, I do like how it looked like a super small like chain metal, like it was protective. You know, yeah. I, I don't mean to steer us off course on the, no, uh, the uniform, but there's a great interview out there between Christopher Nolan, you know, who was the producer on Man of Steel, and uh, Dick Donner. And he said he told Dick Donner, "This is interesting story number one." Christopher Nolan course grew up in England he got to go and see the set uh, for Superman one when he was like six years old and then when he's he pitched his idea to Warner Brothers he said I want to do for Batman what Dick Donner did for Superman back in 78 when he was pitching his Dark Knight Um, but they note in that interview you know everything's done on green screen now but back when they were doing Superman it was blue screen right right well Superman's in a blue suit. How do you make him not invisible? 
That was tough. Like they had to go through several different colors to finally find one that was a blue that you could see that looked right, but was not one that was going to make Superman invisible. Superman one and two, you got to go back to the seventies and real. These are all practical effects. So projection and wires and stuff like that. You know that the the cape in Man of Steel is one hundred percent CGI. Yep. I expect better manners from my guests, Odd. Related to the the Superman suit itself, I, I was just a little disappointed in Man of Steel that he didn't tear that uh, emblem off and turn it into a cellophane S that he could throw at people. <laughs> I mean, I I was so looking forward to that, but it just it just never yeah, happened. The cellophane S, the cellophane S. Oh my god. Okay, so let's get into that because a lot of people like to point out that this. <laughs> Even the family guy had a uh, little thing about this, how it was just a minor inconvenience to non. didn't really do anything, and it, it wasn't based in any comic book. It's just kind of a weird thing, the cellophane S. But that's not the biggest problem from the Superman 1 and 2 movies. Can we get into the reversal and the super kiss? I'm ready to dive into this. Let's go for it, yeah. Okay. Let's go. So I, I love Superman 1 and 2. I am going to defend Superman 1 and 2, but it has problems. So let's talk about... Number one, the ending to Superman 1, which was originally supposed to be the ending for Superman 2, the time reversal. So they were filming this movie. They're filming two movies at the same time when they realized, man, we're running out of money. We're not sure we're going to have enough money to finish Superman 2, so let's finish Superman 1. But they had this ending that they liked, and so they took the ending that was supposed to end at Superman 2 and put it at the end of Superman 1. He flies backwards around the Earth. The Earth stops spinning and actually starts spinning backwards which causes time to reverse. People at the equator are spinning at approximately 2,000 miles per hour. And if the Earth suddenly stopped spinning, those people would continue to move at 2,000 miles an hour. So the reversing the Earth on its axis would kill tons of people and destroy the Earth. It's not going to reverse time. But I'm okay with it. When I was a kid, I was was like, oh, man, wow. I can't figure out how he manages to go in a circle around the earth about a hundred times in a few seconds, but he can't get from one side of the United States to the other in, in 10 minutes that he's got to yeah. get both of the missiles. I saw one of those, uh, how it should have ended things, right? right. Yeah. You and, can't, uh, you can't catch both of those. Mis- oh wait, these two? <laughs> these two? Misses? Yeah. <laughs> now there was something that I read a, a while ago. And it actually made me, because this scene always bothered me too, like the whole time reversal stuff. And I, we'll get into the time reversal piece of it too, because I think that's, a, that's still a problematic way to try to solve your problems. But this scene where he flies, and I too have, have always kind of assumed, well, wow, he flew fast enough that it turned the earth backwards and it reversed the rotation of the earth. And then I read something and the person said, well, what if he's not actually exerting any kind of force on the earth. What if we're just seeing him fly so fast that he's flying backward in time and we're seeing the earth turn backwards because that's time turning backwards, not that he's actually turning the earth backwards. And I'm like, oh, well, okay. I mean, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm feel a little bit better about that then if we're just watching the earth rotate backwards because he's traveling back in time okay. as opposed to he's actually forcing the earth to turn backwards. I'm like, all right, well, I, I clearly didn't get that as a kid. Like as a kid, I was like, wow, he can turn the earth backwards. That's that's pretty weird. (laughs) But I also know that you've got all kinds of paradoxes when when you deal with time travel. And so I'm looking at that. I'm like, okay, now as an adult, as a kid, I was just like, all right, he turned back time. He saved Lois. Everything's all good. But then I'm also thinking about it now as an adult. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. If he turned back time, then did he catch the missiles? And where is he when the... 
what if wait a minute now okay so where is current superman when he's turning back the time did he catch the missiles and how could he still get back to where lois was and was she but wait how is she okay now because if he turned back time the missiles should still have hit because he didn't go stop the missiles earlier as an adult if somebody were to do that now in a movie i'd be like all right that's kind of a cheap way to undo everything it's cheap but i don't think it's as cheap as the amnesia kiss oh no that yeah that's okay let's talk about the super (laughs) far worse Okay, the super kiss is an underrated superpower, all right? <laughs> <laughs> I am telling you if they're... So underrated, it's non-existent. <laughs> <laughs> Men in this world, let's again, I know every man alive would like the power to fly and have x-ray vision. I want to start answering that question that, that way now. <laughs> hey, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Amnesia kiss. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> if you could have a relationship... And then be able to super kiss your way out of that relationship. That's a pretty good superpower. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I told, I told you this yesterday at the end of the movie, weird science, when Lisa causes Gary's dad to forget that she was over there because she zapped him a little bit too hard. What if you kissed a girl a little bit too hard? What if he kissed Lois too hard? And now she has no recollection of who Clark is, but that's not even the it's biggest problem very, with those movies. Very delicate thing. They, yeah. When they get into the fortress of solitude and all of a sudden there's 18 <laughs> different new powers that we've never seen before, including stuff coming out of your finger. What's the deal with the white beams? I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. And how does he, how does he push the rays to the outside that turn you into mortal men? How does that happen? <laughs> I'm just going to push real hard on the glass here and everything will go out and I'll be safe inside. Okay, so Superman 2 is easy to pick on. Yes. It's it's very easy to pick on. There's a lot of a, a lot of lesser things that you can just go, "Well, that was really dumb." It's also but, the most fun. <laughs> right. It is. Well, but I'm going to go ahead and pick on Superman 1 at this point. I enjoy the camp. I enjoy the humor, but there are some things in Superman 1 that I was just like, what just happened just now? When Lex Luthor, in a matter of about a minute and 30 seconds, <laughs> not only figures out what kryptonite can do, but where to get it by going around on his four-shelf bookshelf, mm-hmm. I, it's absurd. He, he He's like, oh, well, you know, he said he's from another galaxy. Well, uh, I think he said that. I actually. have a feeling that meteorite is going to cripple him. Which means that a piece of his planet had to have hit Earth. Mm-hmm. No, no, that's not what no, that doesn't. means. It's, it's a really big universe. And I'm going to go ahead and scoot on over here, pull out a book. Here's a guy with a meteorite. Here's a picture. I'll tear it out. You can look at it. We know where he is. And how do we know that this is from Krypton? We don't. We don't. I'm going to poke the bear and then <sighs> test my theory. Oh, my gosh. And then somehow he makes it out there, picks up his, <laughs> steals the, because he steals it from a museum. I know that that news report's going on. Mm-hmm. Steals it from the museum, then manages to make it back in time to set all the stuff up with the missiles, and then manages to make it out to the area where the land deals are going on. It's just all, I'm just like, oh. Guys, well, but I mean, he's the he's the greatest criminal mind of our age. (laughs) Me, Lex Luthor. (laughs) How about the fact (laughs) that he he says, uh, "Where where does he go, Miss Tessbacher?" North, right? North. So he wanders around vaguely until he finds the Fortress of Solitude. Uh, Yeah, and then when he gets there, Superman spent at least uh, was it twelve years. From the time he was 18 to the mm-hmm. time he was about 30, well, learning right. about Kryptonian history. It's a nice mm-hmm. way to dodge Vietnam, by the way. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to hang out in the Fortress of Solitude, <laughs> the, the ice disco. Yeah. Um, but Lex Luthor shows up in about five minutes. He's got it all figured out. Right. Yeah. The crystals and all that stuff. 
Again, greatest criminal mind of our age. I, I think I think you guys are really struggling with something you don't need to struggle with. He's the greatest criminal mind of our age. That's all you need to know. It's like the, uh, I don't know if you've seen lately, I've seen people put up these uh, GIF or this image on Twitter, the meme for Batman being the greatest detective. Yeah, And it's from the episode of when he was trying to figure out the identity of the Joker. And he's got a picture of this like gangster that the face kind of resembles the Joker, and he's but he's in like a, a a picture with like twelve other people. And Batman in the animated series, he takes this red marker and he just draws a red smiley face. <laughs> the guy, and he's like, "That's the Joker." I'm like, "Really? That you know the the great Dark Knight detective? All it took was a red sharpie for you to figure out who the Joker was." But you know what? That the super kiss is not the biggest problem. The turning the time back is not the biggest problem. Wandering around and finding the Fortress of Solitude is not the biggest problem. The biggest problem for me is when Clark trips over the bear head <laughs> and falls into the fire and reveals himself to be Superman. Uh, First of all, Superman would kick that bear <laughs> through the wall. I mean, the, the fact that he would trip is ludicrous. Uh, and then, I mean, he fights, fights, fights Lois, and then he reaches in and grabs the glasses real quick. And, you know, as soon as she confronts him, well, you are Superman. He's just like, yep. yeah. Yes, I am. Sorry about almost letting you drown earlier. <laughs> I'll just go ahead and fess up now, now that your life's not in danger at all. The reveal is ludicrous. <laughs> it's but the, the Donner reveal was just as bad. She pulls a gun on him. I'm like, I feel bad for this guy. She fires at him, which he, he then takes his glass off. Hey, yeah. I'm Superman. And he's like, that was a really dangerous, yeah. you know, risky game for you to play. And she's like, with blanks, I have blanks. Right, which then, then you go... Okay, so Superman doesn't feel bullets at all when he gets shot. Like, there's right. no feeling whatsoever. I, I, there's got to be at least a tickle. See, if that was you, though, and somebody pulled a gun on you and uh -huh. fired an actual gun, you're trying to seduce, yeah. you'd have to change your shorts. <laughs> the seduction would be over at that point. The reveal is my biggest problem with these two movies. Okay, we're moving into judgment stage here. So let's we've talked about the problems with Superman 1 and Superman 2. Let's talk about problems with Man of Steel. Okay. Jason, you have the floor. Okay. My biggest problem is when he executes Zod, the killing of Zod. And I know that they try to make the case compelling that he's going to x-ray vision these innocent civilians, and that's kind of Clark's last chance. I mean, that's what he has to do. But for me, when I saw this movie in theaters, I thought, man... I just, I don't know if I want Superman killing. I don't know. What do you think? Well, he killed Zod in Superman <laughs> 2 as well. And just to just to draw the distinction here, at least he struggled with the decision a little bit <laughs> in Man of Steel. And when it happened, he cried out in agony like, oh, no, I've just killed the last Krypton, Kryptonian <laughs> member of our race. Krypton. I like how you say it like uh, Marlon Brown. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. Krypton. Um, yeah, yeah he, didn't, I mean, he didn't smile and wink at him before he threw him into the chasm. I mean, it was... <laughs> In, in Superman 2, as he's coming up and he's acting like he doesn't have his powers and he kneels down, he has got the biggest frown I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> like, I've got to hide what's about to happen because I'm just going to nail Zod, so I'm going to look super, super sad. And then he doesn't just kill him. He crushes his hand <laughs> and then throws him, screaming in pain, down a bottomless pit. It's... It, <laughs> 
of the two deaths, I think the quick ne- next snap is what I would choose. So that was, you know, I, when Man of Steel came out, I'm the person in my circle of friends that whenever a Star Wars movie comes out, whenever a Superman movie comes out, people always like go to me first. Like, what do you think? Right. right. We need to know what you thought, because if you loved it, then that probably means it's pretty good. And you know all this stuff. And it, so I was like the first person people get into debates with. And they were like, oh, man, he just he let the whole city get trashed. And he, Superman would never do that. And, you know, and, and all that stuff. He's like, well, Superman snapped his neck. He'd never, you know, Superman would never do that. I'm like, uh, have you read a Superman story? Like, uh, there's times <laughs> all the time where somebody dies or, or something happens like that. And, and the exact same thing. When that came up and people were like, well, he, Superman would never snap his neck like that. I said, well, have you watched Superman 2? Because not only does he, I mean, these people are powerless. Like, he has... Yeah. reversed this process so these are it, it's not like he's fighting a supervillain in superman 2 he's now <laughs> fighting disco zod and and ursa and non and he's just letting them die and i'm like that to me now that i think about that as an adult as a kid i was like yeah you go superman you crush his hand you do right, all that right. stuff you know and you know, wrong again zod and as a kid i was like this is awesome i love this he's finally getting back at these people and i look at that now and i go that's really sadistic Like he could have, if the guy can go catch a missile, you know, if he can fly halfway across the United States and catch a missile and then possibly fly back and get the second one and and be like, Hey, I got got both of them. Then I have a feeling that super Superman could probably zip the, what was it? 15 feet to go like, you know, catch non before he falls into the chasm. He could then zip the 15 feet to go catch Ursa. He, He could even let Lois, you know, do her thing and punch Ursa. Right. I'm, I'm fine with that. But then he could go catch her so she doesn't die. And he doesn't have to throw Zod into the thing and kill him. These are He's killing humans. So that, to me, now as an adult and, and kind of comparing those situations, that's way more problematic for me when I actually think about how those villains were done away with in that movie. And, and knowing the history of the comics, actually killing Zod in the comics was something that defined Superman for many, many, many years. There were moments in the Superman comics for the next after two to three decades after the mid-80s where Superman would always bring that up. He's like, well, the reason I don't kill is because I did kill Zod. I executed Zod and his generals and it tore me up and it, it made me value life once I realized what I had done and there's always got to be a better way. So that to me was that kind of moment is what makes him, you know, it's it's what's building that character. It's what makes him the Superman that he will later become. And when that happened in Man of Steel, I didn't have a problem with it because I looked at that as you've got Superman who's been, I mean, he's been raised on Earth. He's a civilian. He's been raised on Earth. And he's fighting someone that has the exact same powers he does with military training, you know, probably, you know, self-defense military type training. And so he's not going to have the same tactical knowledge, the same kind of fighting skill, you know, that... And he's, he's doing what he can. Like, this is a, still a very young super. He's only been Superman for, what, a day, maybe? Right. A couple of days. <laughs> right. And so I'm looking at that, and I'm going, well, putting myself in that shoes, well, what would I do in that situation if I saw a family about to get killed? Right. This guy who has basically said, you've wiped out all the rest of my people. I have nothing left. I will kill every person on this earth to get back at you. So he's, he said, I'm going to murder everyone. I'm just letting you know. I'm going to murder everyone. And I look at that and I go, put in that situation. I, I mean, I would never kill anyone. I, I, that, me personally, I'm like, no, I, I would never kill anyone. But if you put me in that situation, would I struggle with it? And, and if push came to shove, would I snap the guy's neck to save a group yeah. of other people, a family, and possibly the rest of the earth? Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. So, so that scene it doesn't bother me, and what bothers me more, and I this this is not necessarily the scope of our discussion, but what bothers me more is 
that we didn't get a Man of Steel 2 to be able to explore that further. Uh, but no, that, that scene doesn't bother me because I, I, I compare that now with Superman 2 and I think, well, actually, that, that seems more callous and a little bit more sociopathic than, you know, the, the events of Man of Steel. You know, we, we were talking about this. This has been a few weeks ago. It had never even occurred to me that Superman killed all three of those villains in Superman 2. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Because I'm, I'm still looking at it through a child's eyes. Apparently, there's rumors of some cut out there that shows that these criminals were arrested and taken to jail. Yeah, I think mm. that, didn't you, you did some research on that. Like there was. Well, I, I saw that where they, he arrested Lex Luthor. Right, the, the Arctic police come in and arrest <laughs> Lex Luthor, the Arctic police. The Arctic police who happen to also get access to the Fortress of Solitude. I think Lois called nine one one from the Fortress of Solitude. <laughs> mm-hmm. In the in the there's a super phone. phone. They have they have a little. Uh, <laughs> kind of like, it's it's under a glass jar. It's like what Batman used to have. You just you pick up the glass jar. It's like a it's like a you know Kryptonian crystal jar. You pick That's it up. Right. You make the phone. That's call one of the things and, that he did in the molecule chambers. We call nine one one. Right. Uh, but apparently the the rumor that the three Kryptonian villains get arrested and put in human jail is just that. It's just a rumor. Yeah. Okay. But I will say this. When we talked about this, so and I'm moving in towards my final judgment here, but after rewatching these, Man of Steel is better than I remember it being initially. Mm-hmm. Superman 2 is worse than I remember it being originally. But at the time... Superman 2 did a great job of manipulating my feelings as a little boy. Yeah. And I was telling Dee that when he goes into the molecule chamber and there's red on the outside rather than the inside, I didn't catch that when I saw it in the theater. And so when he starts crushing his hand, I'm like, wait, what? What? And then I'm like, yes. So that scene charged me up. When Lois Lane punches out Ursa, that... I got fired up about that. I was so excited. We didn't touch on this, but this is a major factor in what's going on in those scenes and how you feel emotionally at the time of the death of Zod and his henchmen. With Superman, you've got John Williams' score, which, I mean, arguably the best superhero score in all of history, right? Yeah. And and I will tell you that, you know, I heard about Dick Donner coming in and hearing this for the first time. And he said something that made that that gave me vindication because I will sing Superman to my kids whenever we're putting it on in the car. Mm-hmm. And I go, da, 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 mm-hmm. Superman. I mean, I, yeah. I love it. And mm-hmm. but apparently that was exactly Dick Donner's reaction when he heard Williams theme for Superman was you are saying it with the music. And it's fantastic. Yeah. When he crushes his hand, you get that score coming in with da, 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 and you're like, yes, it's a victory. We've got the victory theme. But when he's having to decide to kill Zod, it's agonizing. You've got, you've got Zimmer's intense, emotional, non-thematic music just pulling at you. And it's, yeah, it totally changes your perspective to where you think, oh gosh, this is horrible. This is horrible. Superman's killing somebody. Well, that's what they want you to think because it is horrible. It's just that in Superman, they made it funny and justified. And John, I thought for a second that D was going to sing, Can you read my mind? <laughs> <laughs> 
Ah, uh, yes. Well, the, I definitely the, the most awkward the horrible, moment. Of the yeah, the horrible <laughs> soliloquy poem reading that Margaret Kidder did. Yeah, in terms of the music, I mean, that, since since we're talking music, I have, a, I have a really hard time with this one. As I was as I was doing my back and forth of all right, well, okay, you get John Williams on Zimmer. Let's go back and forth with it, and then. Um, who did they replace John Williams with for two? Ken Thorne, Ken I think Thorne, was his name. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I, I and I spent the last few days, uh, I had my Spotify playlist up and I just put, I put all the soundtracks um, together and I was like, I'm just going to listen to this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And you know what? I, the John Williams, you, you can't argue with that. It's, it's iconic. It is, it is Superman. It's, I mean, that's been for, ever since 1978 Hans Zimmer score nobody's going to do that when my son was really really little still in his car seat I'd put on like the uh, Planet Krypton theme from Superman yes. and when it would when it would get to the point where it just crescendoed he'd like duh, duh. I'm not even going to do it right but he'd like throw both arms up in the air back in his car seat and I was yeah. like okay I have raised you well like really <laughs> you can just stop now because you know this has been successful but you know you've got that you've got the John Williams you know had that very kind of synthesizer creepy you know the almost like the little the kryptonian zod theme um that got continued on through superman 2 i will say though that overall as an entire movie as an entire film i think that the hans zimmer score did a little bit better job for me of filling in the filling in the the atmosphere of that movie like if I look at the if I look at the original Superman and, and Superman two score, I can probably in my mind I can probably pick out oh yeah there's like three pieces of music that I can remember right and and that's if I ignore the can you read my mind part which I'm constantly trying to do I wish <laughs> I wish there was some kind of a super kiss that could get that one out of my mind <laughs> um, but then I think about the Hans Zimmer score and I'm like okay is there anything in there that's as memorable as the planet Krypton theme, as the John Williams Superman theme, no. But in the movie as a whole, overall, that that fills that movie so much better than the John Williams score does. They, they did some neat things with Hans Zimmer's score um, musically. Like he, he, Superman being as American as he is, he wanted to take something that was a uniquely American instrument, which is the pedal steel guitar which you typically hear in like bluegrass and country music but he changed it in such a way that it becomes the string section so you've got a really unique sound of those strings that you can recognize from from uh, the Man of Steel score and then on those intense scenes it's all drums that and uh, for that one we get like nine different drummers it's like 12 of the world's greatest drummers yeah including, including Sheila E <laughs> And Jason Bonham, and so he puts them in a he puts them in a circle, puts the microphone in the middle of the circle, and to to give the effect of being surrounded by these intense primal drums. All right, so final judgment. I'm with Superman one and two over Man of Steel. Yeah. I, I got to say that after after watching these movies again, I, I had the same reaction you did. I liked Man of Steel better than I did at the beginning, and I loved it at the beginning. I, I got to say, I, Man of Steel is is a better movie. Its plot structure is better. the The character development is better. The setting for Smallville, the setting for Krypton, the struggle that Clark has are all 
better. And so as much as it pains me, as much of a fan of the original movies as I am and was, Man of Steel is a better movie. Now, I'll say this, Superman will always be Christopher Reeve to me. If you say Superman, that's the first thing that I want to think of. And he brought something to the character that Henry Cavill didn't. Henry Cavill did a great job, and especially the moment that that he's standing watching his father about to die, that is an emotionally moving moment for me and a fantastic performance. I had the same feeling I felt whenever Superman, Christopher Reeve finds Lois dead and, and cries out. Both of those were emotionally impactful performances. Right. But whereas Christopher Reeve will always be Superman in my mind, I've got to say Man of Steel is a better movie. John? Yeah, I... All right. <laughs> I got, I Moment of truth. <laughs> I almost wanted to pull an Eric Cartman. Like, I, I hate you guys so much. <laughs> um, Jason, you kind of you reference, or one of you guys referenced early on that in my, in my episodes I did where I talked about like the history of Superman and um, and I did my ranking of it. I, I think I said that Superman one was number one for me. Uh, Man of Steel was number two, and Superman two was number three. And so having rewatched these movies, having talked it out with you guys here, having taken copious notes, you know, and scared my family because they thought I was turning into a serial killer with like all these (laughs) composition notebooks full of tiny handwriting. I think I've come out the other side of this with James. I think I'm, I'm very much on the same page. You are that nothing will ever replace Superman one and two for me. I mean, Far and above, Christopher Reeve will always, I always look at him and think Superman. Nothing can ever replace the times that I had, you know, watching these movies with my dad, with my family, and just the the memories that are attached with those. I love Superman 1. I love Superman 2. But that being said, some of the things that we've said here too, I think that Man of Steel, and I know that this is is an unpopular opinion because a lot of people don't like Man of Steel. Man of Steel has always been my favorite of the more recent DC movies, even including, I think, the Batman movies, the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. Oh. I, Man of Steel is my favorite. I, I guess you wouldn't even call those DCEU because that was, we weren't there yet, but it's my favorite DC movie of the last, you know, probably a couple of decades. And I think for some of the very similar reasons that it's just, I get more backstory. I get more emotional involvement in the character of Clark and the character of Superman, the character of Lois, the even the character of Zod. I have more of a emotional, visceral reaction to what's going on in this movie. I care more about these characters. Not that I didn't care about them when I was a kid watching the other ones, but it was very much... Sometimes it's the difference between, uh, sometimes people that are like Marvel fans and DC fans will make this distinction. Marvel will say, well, our stuff is grounded in reality. We have our characters in Boston and New York and San Diego, whereas you guys made up towns like Gotham and Metropolis. And like, we're, you know, our characters, we have a scientific reason why they have powers. And, and you know, so there's a difference between like your grounded explanation for superheroes and more of like your godlike legends. And I think that Superman and Superman 2 fall into that very comic book-centric, godlike legend of Superman. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, and I absolutely love that about those movies. But I think for someone who wants to dig into the story and understand why these characters are doing what they're doing, why does he become the Superman that we all know and love? Uh, Why does he fall in love with Lois? Who are the parents that raised him to think this way and to to be this way? Who's the villain that just, I mean, almost perfectly matches with, with what he's struggling with at the time in this movie? 
and how he has to, I mean, like we said, he is agonized when he kills Zod at the end because all he's ever wanted is to belong. All he's ever wanted is to fit in. He's finally found his people and he has had to kill the last of his, other than himself, he's had to kill the last of his people. So he's had to completely destroy the one thing that he has wanted his entire life is just to fit in. And so I think for those reasons, I, I kind of, I have to go man of steel in this case, you know, but it's really, it's really a struggle to say that because it just, I love the other Superman movies so much. And you know, the next time I watch them, it might be like, I might watch Superman again and be like, Oh no, you know what? Actually, original <laughs> Superman is number one again. You know, to me, I, I get more emotional involvement in man of steel. I, we get to see him develop as a kid we get to see him develop as a hero that's one of the things even as a kid one of the things that i i didn't i understood the reason for it you know in in trying to fit in like the, the biblical imagery that you would have a stretch of time where well we don't know what happened to clark in right. this stretch of time you know from 18 to to 30 uh, we don't know like he just disappeared for an amount of time and then he came back and started his for lack of a better term started his ministry uh of being superman <laughs> and you know that's fine and that's fine for that movie but I'll, I'll, I'll take another line for the bible that was fine when i was a child and now that i'm older i'm i, I put away a childish things and i want more explanation i want more of that story i, I want to know my characters and i i want to make that connection with them i want to see a lois that my Superman would fall in love with, that he would look at her and say, this is the humanity that I'm here to save. I will, I, I wanted to, before we before we ended, I did want to pull these out that I love, this is this is the, the, the part I love about both of these movies is just the kind of ideal that this is trying to build up. And I, I love both of these speeches from Jor-El. And so I, I didn't want to, you know, skip being able to, to read these or, or take a look at these. And in his speech in the Fortress of Solitude, he says, you know, live as one of them, Kal-El. Discover where your strength and your power are needed. Always hold in your heart the pride of your special heritage. They can be a great people, Kal-El, if they wish to be. They only lack the light to show the way. For this reason, above all, their capacity for good, I have sent them you, my only son. And then I also wrote down the one from Man of Steel, and I, I just, I love both of these. You know, Jor-El says, you will give the people of Earth an ideal to strive towards. They will race behind you, they will stumble, they will fall, but in time they will join you in the sun, Cal. In time, you will help them accomplish wonders. And I think, I think that's part of where I, I hit that difference is, I love the speech by Marlon Brando Jor-El, but I will say, I teared up in the theater when I listened to Russell Crowe deliver that speech they will race behind you they will stumble they will fall but in time they will join you in the sun and it actually comes from a, a Superman comic where it's a story in which Superman his, his life is coming to an end he's actually going to send himself into the sun and that's going to be his final resting place and so Jor-El's speech and that, that's actually where Man of Steel took it from his speech in that one is your work is done you have shown them the face of the man of tomorrow. You have given them an ideal to aspire to, embodied their highest aspirations. They will race and stumble and fall and crawl and curse. And finally, they will join you in the sun, Kal-El. In time, you will no longer be alone. And I think that that, like bringing that piece into Man of Steel and just the way that speech is delivered and what that speech says, like it's it, it makes me, even now, it like makes me emotional to think about that, you know, the father speaking that to his son and that's that emotional piece i get that emotional piece every time i watch man of steel i love superman one and two but i don't get the emotional connection to those so i think for that reason and just because of some of the other things we've said about how i think there's just more there's more meat to man of steel 
I got to go Man of Steel. The speech by Russell Crowe, they used it for the trailer. Um, mm-hmm. And I, re- I can remember really distinctly when the trailers came out for Man of Steel before the movie came out, because the visual that you had in both trailers were the same, but in one you had that speech from Jarrell, and in the other one you have uh, an admonishing speech uh, uh, from Jonathan Kent. You have to decide what kind of man you want to grow up to be. Whoever that man is, good character or bad, is going to change the world. I can remember seeing those commercials, and it is the scene from the movie where uh, they're looking at nine-year-old Clark Kent, and he's playing around in the yard, yeah. and he's got a cape on, and he, you know, you see him stand up tall, put his chest out, put his hands on his hips in the iconic Superman pose. And I, I remember watching the first time, and I, I think my wife was next to me, and I said, even Superman wanted to be Superman when he was a boy. <laughs> And that's the way it is, I think, for all all young men. It's, it's, it's that, that ideal to strive for. We are always striving to be Superman. Okay, well, I think that does it for this episode, or in all likelihood, episodes. <laughs> John, I really appreciate you coming out and uh, being with us for all of these episodes. Uh, it's been great fun to have you and so inspiring to hear your input on these Great, great stuff. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, yeah. Thank you guys for having me out. I, I can't wait to, I'm, I mean, obviously, when this comes up in my feed, I like I said, I, I jump to you guys first. I like block all other podcasts. I'm like, nope, gotta, <laughs> gotta find out what they're, what they're going to argue about this time. So I'll be looking forward to this one too. Oh, thanks, man. We yeah. really appreciate it. Yeah, and yeah. to all our listeners, please, if you haven't already, uh, go check out 30-something movie podcast. You can find them on Twitter at 30podcasts mm-hmm. uh, on Twitter. And is it the same on Facebook, John? Yeah, it's pretty much if you do three zero and podcast, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you know, there's probably something that's come out in the next three days that I'll sign up for. But yeah, 30 podcasts, wherever. Um, Thank you all. Again, we're overwhelmed by the support that we've been getting for our podcast. We we really love that you love what we're doing. And uh, we're just going to keep on going as long as you're listening. That's right. We'd love to have a five-star review. Five-star review for 30-something podcast. We'll give you a big old fat super kiss. <laughs> we won't even give you amnesia. <laughs> and then you're, and you know what? And once we give you that super kiss, you'll forget that you left a five-star review. So then you can go leave another one. All music images and movie clips are used for the purposes of commentary and education in conjunction with the fair use agreement under the U.S. copyright law. Come here and kiss your mom. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.